I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. My whole complaint always is like, uh, you can know a male comic for like five years and not know they have a kid. Like if you don't know them well, you cannot know they have a kid for years. But mom comics, you know it right away. Obviously, if they get pregnant and then after that, it's like that consumes their whole life. Um, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome back to another episode of Awkward Sex in the City. Uh, when this podcast comes out, it's going to be dry. It's going to be a dry day right now as we recorded. Um, if you saw in the news uh, or if you live in New York City or the Tri-State area, uh, we're dealing with uh, you know some flash flooding, some torrential downpours, a state of emergency. You may even in the background hear a slight dripping noise. And what is that? That would be my ceiling leaking and it's I've had to use my bachelorette you know cups uh, to catch the leaks um, we have a leaky ceiling we've had one for years really depends uh, sometimes it can be torrential downpour and it's totally fine and then some days it is not but we've I think we're at six inches of rain in about 18 hours it's not uh, it's not pretty <laughs> um, 
And before me and my guests were talking beforehand, cause she was also dealing with a leaky ceiling and she was the third person that I talked to by that time when we started our recording at 10 AM. So uh, that was dealing with a leak in their ceiling. And I just got to say, um, I love New York city with all my heart, soul, blood, guts. I love it so much. I wanted to live here. I think since I was like 12 or 13 year old, 13 years old, like it's been, in, it's just ingrained in me, but you gotta fucking love it. You got to, to love it, to, to deal with the shit that you deal with on a daily basis, live in New York city. Um, it's why people don't make it a year, you know, um, which there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it at all, but it's just that mentality you have to have, like dealing with, you know, flooded basements, leaking ceilings, um, on top of people, no space, mice, rats. I've had a friend, I've had mice in every apartment that I've ever been in. Um, and I think partially that's my fault and partially that's just New York city, but I've had a friend have a rat in their apartment, a fucking rat. (laughs) One of my favorite things to do actually when me and Aaron are walking home at night, um, is this is so dumb. Uh, but it brings me so much joy. If a rat runs by, I go rat. Uh, and he does it too now. Uh, except one time I was walking home last weekend and I saw the rat went rat. The rat came back towards me. Don't like that energy rat. I don't like the energy. Like I understand you were here first, but that's not cool. That scares me. Sometimes you have fucking weird ass squirrels. We've had like rabid squirrels here. Um, it's such a weird place, but I love it so much with my heart and soul. And we don't really talk about New York in the podcast episode we did before, because when something like this is happening, uh, when Eric Adams, you know, declares a state of emergency, but it was like, but we shouldn't go remote. People should still be traveling. And literally right now, every train is either like suspended, no service or like severely delayed. And like streets are closed, like major highways are closed. I could go on about this forever. So everyone's just like on their phones, like, you know, in the group chats and just wanting to commiserate because it's so fucking crazy. Um, (laughs) anywho, how are you? How are you doing? Are you dry? Are you not wet, uh, from weather? If you're wet in other ways, good for you. Good for you. And I love that you're listening to this podcast. This was a really fun and interesting um, conversation. Uh, my podcast guest today was Emily Walsh and I find us to be very, very similar in like our relationship with comedy relationship with our husbands. She actually did Edinburgh Fringe Festival the next year, the year after me. And her husband came too for the full, um, full event. And we talk about that a lot and the emotional, toll that festival takes on you and like how appreciative we are of our families and our husbands, uh, for getting us, you know, through that. Like I, I would have been a shell of myself if I had to do that festival alone. Um, I can't even imagine. And so Aaron, when you hear this, I, I can't thank you enough for our first month of marriage being the festival, fucking fringe festival, Edinburgh fringe festival. It's still fucking wild to me that we did that. And it's a lot. And we talk about that and we just talk about, you know, about how great our husbands are. And then we also talk about kids, you know, uh, being, you know, in and out of the boat of a yes or a no and what that means and why, you know, people feel that way and that it's okay. And, you know, I, I, a lot of times I feel really bad for the generation of women before us because they were, you know, told to like have the career and the kids and that's possible. But you see case in a case again, 
or example, an example again of like, they weren't given any support. And I really do feel like, you know, millennials, millennials in so many ways have been dealt such a shitty hand that, you know, now in our thirties, um, and you see this with Gen Z too. I feel like, uh, we're calling bullshit on a lot of stuff, like a lot of stuff. We're just like, no, this is our boundary. I don't know. But a big one is parenthood, especially for women or people with uteruses or people that want to have kids or don't want to have kids. We are now saying out loud, Hey, the amount that I'm going to have to sacrifice, the amount that I'm going to have to give up, the amount of my sanity I'm going to lose. And that no matter how equal it is between the partnership, it falls so much more on the person, you know, carrying the baby and to do that while having a career. Like, what does that look like? Is it possible? You know, I think a lot of us are asking ourselves now, like, is that even possible? And, you know, the state of the world and, you know, global warming, what does that mean? Adding another person. There's there's so many questions and there's so many, I'm just so happy, honestly, seeing so many people be like, no, I'm also so happy to see how many fucking vasectomies are finally starting to happen. Though one of the craziest things that I found out, a friend had a vasectomy and he was telling me, uh, I want to, I don't want to botch this, but he was like, yeah. So there's a lot of like, there was a lot of like not nerves, but like, you know, there's a lot of shit down there. So the doctors, I hope this is true. The doctors don't even know if they got the right, you know, line, you know, like say, like, let's say it's like, is it the, 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 the right wire? Like, do they get, is it the red wire or the blue wire, the blue wire? Cause there's so many down there. So they do, they snip, snip, they snip and they take a, you know, a, a chunk out and then they send it to a lab and then the lab confirms whether or not they got you know, the right one. Um, which I just, it's so fucking wild to me. I think now that people, um, men are becoming more vocal and more okay with vasectomies. I think we're going to see a lot more research and funding in that. It's also hilarious to find out how much, um, pain relief men are given for this. When, if you get your tubes tied, uh, it's a way more painful experience. Anyways, this is not anything about the podcast episode today. I just found it really interesting. Um, and I just think we are in real time watching a very huge shift when it comes to motherhood, when it comes to fatherhood, when it comes to parenthood, when it comes to children, the yes or the no. Um, and I'm really happy for us. I think it puts a lot of pressure on women still, uh, to decide what they want. I think there's always going to be that, did I make the wrong choice? Or maybe that's me and my OCD brain. And I think about, about kind of every choice I make in my life, um, though with therapy that has gotten better, but I, if you are on the fence about kids, if you aren't sure what you want, I think this is going to be a cathartic episode for you. Um, and I can't wait for you to listen. Uh, also, uh, real quick, we are going to be in Seattle and LA very soon, Seattle, October 6th for 7 PM and 7 30, sh- 9, 7 PM show and 9 30 show that this episode may come out after that. And then we are in LA October 20th and 21st for 9 PM shows. I'm very excited for both of those. Um, I cannot wait for you to listen to this podcast episode with my guest, Emily Walsh. Um, you can also listen to her, po- her podcast cannot talk today, her podcast, her podcast alone at lunch. And I will talk to y'all soon as in, in the outro, I've lost my mind. Okay. 
go listen. Bye-bye. So how do you feel? It's only been like a month and a half since you come back, came back from Scotland. Yeah, it, uh, I feel like I'm still processed. Like, I feel like I'm still hung over from that experience. And Mm -hmm. part of it is that I, uh, I came back immediately went to Erie, Pennsylvania for the weekend, like a day after saw a bunch of family and I had been only home for like a day and they were Mm -hmm. like, how was Edinburgh? And I was like, I don't know yet. Like I'm still processing it. Then we came back. Then I went to Cape Cod and like helped my friend get uh, like set up her wedding and then went to her wedding. And then I came home and then my mom came to visit for an entire week and she just left a few days ago. So I feel like I'm finally actually processing Edinburgh and it has been like five weeks and I'm like, oh God, what? Like now I'm finally (laughs) starting to think about it. And like everyone else who I was with is doing their show like one more time, like, okay, like, you know, victory lap at, you know, union hall or whatever. And I'm like, I, I haven't even, I don't know if I'm there. Like, I don't know if I'm there with this show. I, I really enjoyed doing it for as long as I did it, but it is like, uh, you know, it was half about whether or not we were going to have kids and half about like me processing my dad dying when I was a kid. So it's like, it was stand up. I think it's very funny. People laughed, but it is like a big topic to do mm-hmm. every day for 25 days. You know, so it's I'm I'm I feel like that part of it I'm I'm taking a break from and then it's also just weird to like reintroduce yourself to a normal life. My apartment feels gigantic because oh, I, bet. <laughs> I was in a dorm with my husband for a month like a weirdo. <laughs> I'm 37 years old. And I was like, cool, we can put our suitcases in, under the bed, you know, like, just like, like I was back in college. So that was um, a journey. So it's, it's also just my, my apartment feels gigantic and luxurious right mm-hmm. now. So that, that is definitely nice. It like, I think that is like not talked about for, for Edinburgh, like is the actual act of doing it is kind of a traumatic experience. But yes. the subject matter for most of these shows is also traumatic. Like, yeah. and so like you're, you're all taking our worst experience and making it a comedy show somehow. Making a comedy show and then living this like, like weird Groundhog's Day, like traumatic experience over and over again, having to get up, having to put yourself out there and fly or having to hear no, 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 no. Have people not show up, have people show up, not laugh, give you bad reviews. Like it's like the most, it's so fucking awful. And I was just thinking about it today um, before you came on because you, your husband came too. And so did my husband. And now in retrospect, like it was definitely hard to have him there in a lot of ways. Cause I felt like I had to like kind of take care of him too and make sure he was having a good time. But I could like not have done this without him because the amount of emotional 100%. support you need, like, I can't imagine going and doing this show alone, like, and doing a full run alone. I would have had several public breakdowns. I think, mm-hmm. like, I think mm-hmm. I would have, cause he was like, it was funny. Cause the first week I was very confident, um, in in how prepared I felt and even mm-hmm. though it was difficult I was still like I've listened to the podcast I've talked to people I know it's going to be difficult like I was I was like kind of okay and and just pushing forward just like using adrenaline and willpower to like move forward and he was actually having like some emotional stuff come up just because like he he was trying so hard for me to have a good experience like he was trying to just be supportive but he didn't mm-hmm. fully know 
how to do that short of like forcing people to come to the shit, you know, like he was mm -hmm. flyering, but you never know if that's going to be successful. And then like, he also just had a, a bit of a tough time in the beginning socially because comics are weird. Oh yeah. And you know, like we met, we already lived together when I started doing stand up. So he has known comics for the past seven years, but we don't, he and I don't really hang out with comics. Like I will go do shows and hang out after, or we have a few friends that are comedy friends, but they, you know, come over for a game night. He's not hanging out after a show, dissecting a show. Like that's mm -hmm. just not his activity. And so everybody's there and everybody's doing a solo show and everybody's like paid all this money and taken all this time and done all this work. And so a few times in the first couple of days, somebody would like, you know, say they'd come right back to talk to him and then not come back or, you know, you know, just little, little things that were kind of, I guess, rude under normal circumstances, but it was just like, just such a weird thing. Or he'd text somebody and they wouldn't respond or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, everyone's ego is so wrapped up in this and everyone is doing, this is like one of the most significant things in their career to date. And you just happen to also be here. They're not, it's not personal. No one is like trying to hurt you. No. And like, once we like talked that through, he had a much better time. Cause he was just like, Oh, well they didn't get back to me. But then I saw them the next day and you know, it was fine. I was like, everybody's emotions are so wrapped up in the success of their show and this experience that they're not necessarily going to be wary of your emotions and your like emotional safety and, for that, I am sorry. And a couple days, like Danny and I have a very good communication style when I'm overwhelmed or if I'm having a bad day where I will just be like, I am having a hard time. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with these three things. If you want to help, you can do this. If you want to get away from me, you can do that. Like these are the options. Like I don't try to hide anything. I don't try to confuse anybody. I'm just like, these are the things I could use or could not use. And so that that did work out pretty well. And he also just was like, you know, I got sick and he was able to go find medicine. I needed a Band-Aid and he went to the store, you know, things like that, that like to have to do absolutely all of that by myself would have been even more soul crushing and exhausting for sure. Yeah. And that's so real too about like your husband. I honestly, I, I think we talked about this when we um, first met. Our husbands sound very, very similar, very, very social, um, love their friends. And we're kind of the same too. Like I definitely have a few comedy friends, but comedians scare the shit out of me. I'm yeah. so, I'm so bad about like hanging out or like going out of my way to like, you know, network or whatever. Do the hang and do, do the, the hang. yeah. And so I remember when we first got there, we knew some people, right? We knew some people that were going to be there. And he was like, oh, great, cool. We're going to have like our group of people that we like hang out with. And I remember being like, in my mind being like, that is not what's going to happen. I don't think happen. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> mm, that is not what's going to happen at all. Like, and we were, because, uh, you know, everything costs so much money. We were at one point four people in a one bedroom flat. And so we were basically Wild. like sequestered to the bedroom because the other girls were in the living room that was also connected to the kitchen, but Aaron doesn't have the best back. So it was like, he needs the bed. And he was just at one point, like, so homesick. Cause he just didn't have like his friends. Like he, like we, like this weekend, we have three birthday parties we have to go to on top of like other events. Like we yeah, just like very yeah. go, go, go. Social. Very Going out, social. doing the things. Yeah. And more him. I I've definitely come to love it but when I we first started dating I was like oh no I need like a week away from people like no so to be in that and kind of have to help him through that too um not really help but like to acknowledge it because when I first went in to Scotland I was like this is all about me 
I am a people pleaser. I want to make everyone feel happy and safe. But like this month is about me. And that's kind of where we clashed because it was like having to learn these new, um, I don't want to say tactics, but like, how do we communicate that we both need something? How do we both communicate? Like I need to sleep because I'm exhausted from flying all day, but he needs to go out because he's been stuck in a bed all day and he wants to go out and see Scotland. And I think that's where our, not even on blow up, but he was like, I just got to get out. And he like went to the movies because the movies are like five bucks. We went to like three movies in Scotland. Oh, that's that's awesome. I didn't even think of that they as were an activity. So fucking cheap. It's ridiculous. Um and it was one of those moments where I was just like, I was upset at first because I was like, ah, like this is supposed to be about me. And I was like, no, but he's he's done all this shit for me. Like he's done all this stuff for me. He this is our honeymoon. Like he's made it so clear how much he supports me. Go fucking right. walk up Arthur's seat. I also got really sick at the end. Like, yeah, so I got the yeah. cold um, in, the, in the first week. We both did. And then the last seven days, either it was like, because I have IBS. So it was either like IBS anxiety or I got sick from the, the trash um, strike because I right. would like walk around with my shoes and then switch them for the show. And so I was basically touching garbage. The, the garbage. And so I literally just shat for seven days straight could not eat anything like i was just eating like rolls for seven days straight um or it was anxiety because honestly once once my last show happened i was fine then we went to like do a tasting menu and i was eating like steak tartare so i was like this might have (laughs) been a little bit to do with the show yeah yeah but it was just like so it got even harder to do stuff the last month because i was or not last month the last week because i was like i don't think i can i'm afraid of being not close to a bathroom basically and like I one time during one show had to like poop in between people's sets at just the oh tonic. Oh my god! Yeah, oh my and god. those are they're like open bathrooms, and I was like, oh my god, oh my god, this is the worst. And, and it's I, not a bathroom that you want to have any kind of incident in. It no, is not 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 good. It's the worst, and so. I remember coming out of that month being like, do we need couples therapy? Like, do we need to figure <laughs> out better yeah. ways to communicate? And he was like, no. Because I was like, I made mistakes. And he was like, yeah, so did I. Like, we made mistakes. We but that was like a weird, unique month of our lives that we're not going to necessarily repeat ever or every year at least. <laughs> like, maybe one more time in five years, we'll do it again, you know, but it'll be a completely different thing. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think it, you'd do we, it again? When, when I was there... I was like, I am coming back next year. I'm going to win. Like I was like really fired up with like a revenge style mm-hmm. attitude. Like I was like, I'm going to, cause I, I got there and I felt like I had already done so many things wrong. Like I walked into my venue and I was like, this is the wrong room. I, you know, like I wish my, ta- my advertising tactic had been different. Like I just felt like I did so many things wrong that added up together to be frustrating and i was like okay next time i'm going to get it right we're going to come back we're going to do it again and and there's a few people that you know i met that do it every year or do it every two years and they they're very like talk about it like it's summer camp and it's like of course you go back but Mm -hmm. um and so while i was there i was fired up about it and danny was also fired up about it in the sense that he was like uh, he's just a problem solver. So he's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, if you want to come back, like, let's come back and let's get a better venue and let's have, you know, whatever. But uh, I think we were just caught up in it. And now that I'm home, I'm like, I will a hundred percent do it again. But I think it would have to be something that like, 
I worked on the show for two or three years. I had a real solid like play because I wrote the show. Some of it was jokes that I had been doing for years, but half of it I wrote in about six months. And I do really like the show and am proud of it. But I think I would have just been better served to like spend a year going to other fringe festivals, like weekend things and really feeling like, okay, like mm-hmm. <laughs> this comic, uh, this comic, I forget her name. Her show was called Vanessa 5000 and she's a comic and clown performer. And it's like, she's a sex robot in the show, Vanessa 5000. And it's honestly, it was one of the best things I saw at the fringe. And she was like, so sweet to me. It was like, how's your fringe going? Like, what do you know? And I was like, this is going to sound really fucking stupid. Um, but bear with me because I'm not a stupid person, I promise. But I did not think about it before I got here <laughs> that this fringe is 3,000 people bringing the best thing they've ever done. Like, and that is not what I did. Like, I am very proud of my show. But at the end of the day, I cannot tell you that it is the peak of my comic capabilities and performance. Like, I cannot tell you I put everything into it that I, I mean, I did put everything into it I had but only for eight months and what you know what can you get Mm -hmm. in that time so i think i definitely do want to do it again but i just in completely different circumstances and if that if that is available to me like who knows what will happen in life and it is a big commitment and it's a big like money commitment so Mm -hmm. if i happen to have a show that i feel like would do well i would love to do it again because i i did see so many other shows i did feel very validated as like an artist like while you're there everybody's just like oh we're all artists we're all the same we're all you know because like starting comedy at 30 i think sometimes makes me feel illegitimate or like i'm doing it as a hobby or that i am not fully like a comic for some reason and it's just like my own imposter syndrome but I I did really enjoy that aspect of it, of just like, we're talking through comedy, we're talking about shows, we're going to shows, we're immersed in this thing. And I was doing like two or three sh- other shows a night as well, like other people's stuff. And so I definitely got a lot out of the experience, but at the same time, there's so many things wrong with it <laughs> that like, it's hard. And like, when I was over there, I very foolishly was like, oh, well, Edinburgh, you know, I live in New York City, which is, in my mind, all about, like, hot, rich people. But Edinburgh is <laughs> going to be this weird meritocracy that's not just about hot, rich people. And when I say hot, rich people, I mean young people of a certain vibe and wealthy people. I I don't think I'm not good looking. I don't need anyone to pump me up. I When I say hot, rich people, it's like a category of people that are, like, incredibly well-funded, darlings mm-hmm. of the industry, hot in a certain way type of people that are just gonna succeed in that scenario and i felt like i was regulated to a different box and just could not kind of break into the hot rich people uh vibe so Mm -hmm. that's that's just my that was my frustration while i was over there and it still is frustrating but i think if i came at it with something that i was undeniably proud of i would get over that but i Mm -hmm. think i was watching people that were hot and rich and uh, in my mind, mediocre, doing better than me and my mediocrity. And I was frustrated by that circumstance, if that makes any sense. Oh, 100%. Like, and I know exactly what you mean in New York City, like exactly. And it's very intimidating. And I think uh, myself included, I feel like if I could get over that hump, like I would be unstoppable. Like, I think I could just get over that insecurity. But 
I mean, for me, it stems all the way back to childhood. Like, that's just like, this was my worst nightmare too. Um, of like not making that, that box, which one day therapy, I'll get over it. But (laughs) it is like Scotland is this weird equalizer, but at the same time, you're like, oh no, I'm still in it. Cause there were like, for me last year, last year, year and a half ago, um, there were definitely like, you got your like, I don't want to say names, but you got like, Aaron, can you bleep these out? Um, just the names, but like, so you've got your, you've got your, they're fucking selling out. But then like was there, she did three days. She sold out, but she was every day flying for her boyfriend. And like, no one knew who she was. Like no one cared that it was. Um, and she was so sweet to me and we like barely talk, you know, like we're acquaintances, but you've got the ones that will never talk to you. There's a certain, there's certain people that I just like can't stand because they exactly fit what you were saying. Um, Oh, where was I going with this too? But like you were saying of like, it is 3000 people doing like the best of the best at the same time. I've watched, I watched like shit shows too. Like, Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. And somebody gave Malika actually, um, gave me good advice before I win. He was like, you will automatically be better than some things because imagine if the biggest arts festival in the world took place in New Jersey, how many people would go before they're ready? Like how many people Mm. would bring a show that just like is not ready, but they think they're ready. So like, I don't think I was, and I, maybe that's where my frustration was where I was like, I do think this show is, is pretty good. And Mm -hmm. like, I cannot seem to get people to, to care about that. And there's just so much garbage that's being, and like with Edinburgh specifically, and the way this festival is, I feel like some people did better because of the way street traffic is or the time of day or that their show started with an earlier letter in the alphabet. So they're in the book for like mm-hmm. so many things that are absolutely completely out of your control that you're like, all I could do is show up and do my show and mm-hmm. hope for the best. And, you know, I had, I did it 25 times. I had a lot of good shows. I had a couple of rough ones, but I think the nature of my show, we never had anybody that was disinterested. Like I never had anybody leave. I never had anybody heckle. I never had anybody like yawning. Like maybe I only had five people, but they all would come up to me afterwards and be like, that was one of the best things I've seen. Like that was a great show. I really enjoyed that, you know, whatever. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn. It's just like, it was frustrating. Danny would get really frustrated because he's like, the people who come like it. Why can't we get more people to come? And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know. But I I can only be so emotionally invested in that aspect of it. Like he would mm-hmm. get really frustrated. And I was like, if I go to that level with you, I will not be able to do the show. So mm-hmm. I have to just be happy that there are five people here. Because I also had friends that were having cancellations or having mm-hmm. one person or two people. So I was like, we never had less than five, which I am weirdly proud of. Oh, same, and, same. I yeah, didn't want a cancellation. So, that was like my goal. I was like, don't have a cancellation. It's exactly. a great thing. Yeah, exactly. And like the last two shows, like the, you end on a Sunday and my last Saturday was really good. And so I was like, I don't even want to do tomorrow's show. We had a nice group. Mm-hmm. We had a fun time. And it was like a bigger group. And I was like, I don't even, I wish I could go on a high note. 
because I had zero pre-sales for the Sunday. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt my feelings when nobody comes to my last show. And then we ended up having like 20 people and it was a really fun show. And it was, was probably that? my favorite performance. Like I really had a good time. So I was like, okay, we've, we're going out on a high note. And like, I, I definitely like emotionally had a lot of things over there of like, cause I never got to go to like sleepaway camp, but I, you know, like things mm-hmm. like that, where you're like, we've all kind of trauma bonded together and we're all buddies. But I did have a couple moments with Danny the last week. Cause we were being social. We had friends over there, but, um, I did have a couple moments the last week with him where I was like, this experience is showing me something about how I operate in the comedy world. Because in my mind, I didn't have people in, in my, in my head, but I was like, I will go there and I will meet at least a few New York people that, or like see New York people that I've met before. And we will become real life friends when we go back. Like we will spend enough time together over there that I will come back to New York and we will go to dinner. We will go to whatever. And that just did not happen. There Mm -hmm. are people that I am friendlier with Mm -hmm. and like a couple people that we've said, oh, we should hang out, but we haven't, you know, in a month. And And it just kind of showed me that like, I will always be like, I am liked. I don't think that no one is like, I don't think anyone is like, oh, fuck that Emily Walsh girl. Like, I, that's just not my, like, I don't know what I would say to have people be that mad at me, but I, my closest friends are not comedians and, and I don't know if they ever will be. And I would love to have more comedian friends, but I would love to feel like I had those people and I do have, I don't want to be like, oh, I don't have any comedian friends. And if people that are my friends that are comics are listening to this, we're obviously friends. But like, <laughs> I just had this moment over there where I was like, okay, like you're not going to get invited still probably. And you need to just be okay with that. And I'm, I'm again, I'm an adult lady and I have friends. I'm okay with that. I fill my social time. It's just mm-hmm. not with comics. And when I walk into a comedy club, I still feel depending on the club, not that comfortable. I still feel like I have to be putting on a, a little bit of an act of like, Oh, Hey, how's it? You know, it's like, and there are people that I see that I get really excited to see and they get excited to see me again. I feel like I'm, I'm sounding like sadder than I am. It just kind of like made me realize I wasn't going to come home with like a best buddy texting, like, Oh, we're festy besties. And we're going to like, you know, it just wasn't in the cards. And you know, I don't know. I think I had a, a, a an expectation friendship wise that was not there. And I think part of that has always been true with me in comedy because I started older and living with Danny. Like I was mm-hmm. like, I- I'm going to go home. Like I'm not going to mm-hmm. stay out and be like, oh, maybe I'm going to like, you know, something fun or sexy or crazy is going to happen. It's like, no, I have, I'm going to go home. I have a dog and this man and I'm going to leave this party. Like I, there was a, um, a comedy club party. I remember this like four or five years ago. It was a, it was Halloween and there was a Halloween party at stand up New York and Halloween party at New York comedy club. And I decided to go from stand up New York to New York comedy club. And the stand up New York party was a little light, but I felt like I had to go and, and I was there for about an hour and I was like, okay, it doesn't really seem like this party's going to change. I'm going to go downtown. And I had like even taken, um, I happened to have the next day off of work. That's what it was. Cause normally I get up, uh, when I was working my day job, which I don't do as much anymore, I had to get up at 5am and I didn't have to the next day. So I was like, this is going to be my big night out, you know? And so I went to 
to New York Comedy Club and I had had like a drink by the time I got there and everyone there was hammered, like <laughs> hammered dancing and just like really getting after it. And I felt like I couldn't, I don't really dance unless I'm with really close friends or I am also hammered. Like I could have maybe been having that fun if I was like a little looser, but I was like, I don't feel like loose and fun in this way. And I was talking to Caitlin Reese and I don't think she'll mind me name dropping her because she gave me some good advice. But she was like, I told her I was like complaining. I was like, oh, I just wish I had come to this party first. I wish I was feeling like dancing, but I think I just need to go home. Like I'm not, I'm not going to have fun. Everyone's screaming, whatever. And she was like, she was like, most comics have no one like go home to your husband. Like, why do you care about this? And I was like, you know what? I don't know. I'm going to leave. <laughs> like, I think that's a really, really big part of this one. We are so alike, like in the way um, that we think about our relationship with like other comedians and like our expectations. And I started dating Aaron, maybe a year or two after really starting comedy. And it was, it's the same thing. It's like, I'm going to do the show and then I'm going to go home because I worked all day and he worked and I haven't seen him yet, you know? Yeah. And for me, there's also kind of a lot of guilt of like, am I making time for him too? Um, not that he's ever made me feel guilty. It's more, honestly, it feels like not like internalized misogyny, but of like, have I done my part, you know, in this relationship? Right. Have I done my half of the partnership? Mm -hmm. And also like, yeah. I don't, I'm assuming for Danny as well, like Aaron's like my best friend. Like I have a lot of really good friends, but Aaron is like my best friend. Um, hope that's not codependent, but that is the truth. <laughs> and I remember reading um, the oral history for SNL and they were talking about Jane Curtin, um, Gilda Radner, and I'm blanking on the other woman. And they were like, after every show, it was like, you know, uh, Gilda Radner was like throwing up in the bathroom because she had bul bulimia. Um, the other chick was like doing like lines of cocaine. And Jane was like, well, I'm going to go home to my husband and dog. And so Jane had said she felt like she never got as big as them because of that. But she also had the most consistent career, too. Like she had the longest lasting career because she is really fucking funny, but she always wanted that stability of of her home, yeah. of her like home life. And I've always struggled with that. There's always, there have definitely been times where I was in like bigger lows of like, if I wasn't in a relationship, what would I have just like fully thrown myself into comedy? Like, would that be, would I be further? And in the retrospect, I never want that. Like I never wanted that or that's what I would have done. Um, but when you are in these scenarios where you're surrounded by thousands of shows and thousands of comedians, it makes you really think about it. And that's, or grapple with it. And that's what I really liked about liked and hated about Edinburgh is like, you are going to about to like eat, pray, love your relationship with yeah. comedy and yep. every facet of that, including like your relationship with your husband. Um, and it's a lot to look in that mirror, like every day of like, what's, what are your demons, you know? And I remember five weeks out, I still felt really like weird about Scotland. I think about two, three months out, I was like, that was one of the best decisions of my life that I did. And now yeah. everything feels doable and everything, like I know what I'm capable of. And I think you're going to have something very similar too. Yeah. And I, I will say something that Danny said to me a lot uh, that has finally sunk in when we were over there. He said two things. Every time I complained, he would say, we're building something, which then became like a joke because mm -hmm. it was just like, he was like, it's okay, we're building something. But then anytime I wanted to complain, I'd be like, we're building something. 
But the thing that I keep thinking about is he was like, because because about like five or six days into the run, I was still doing something that I hate, but I do it where people, if they weren't responding to a joke, I'd be like, oh, well, you're going to really hate this one. Or like, if you guys don't start laughing now, it's only getting darker, you know, like, mm-hmm. because my show, the first half is a lot sillier than the second half. And if people aren't laughing a lot before I get into the dead dad stuff, the dead dad stuff feels a little more like a Ted talk on grief than it mm-hmm. does a comedy show. So I was saying things and people would come out and be like, I loved it. I I'm sorry if I didn't laugh more, but like, I loved it. And I was like, and he was like, people are enjoying it and you're making them feel like they're not enjoying it when you say that, like they mm. were perfectly happy until you brought that up. And another comedian said something similar and in a gentler way. Cause I didn't know him as well. And he's not my husband, but Danny was really just kept being like you, when we, by the last week, he was saying things, you know, about how I had found strength in the quiet moments. He was like, you're becoming so much more comfortable taking pauses mm. and letting things lie and letting them be quiet and knowing you still have them, like being confident that you still have them as an audience. And that has already translated back in the city. Like Mm. I am already feeling that way on stage in a way that I never did before. So like, if that is the one thing I take away from Scotland, it was worth going for sure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Did Danny go see every show? He actually ended up running my light board because they Mm. wanted to like charge me 12 pounds a day for somebody to turn the lights on and i was like he's here uh let's do that instead Mm -hmm. so yeah he he saw every single show um he he cried a few times he went on a real journey he flyered every single show damn and yeah i need to figure out an appropriate way to thank this man and i haven't yet i don't i don't know what it is yeah i was about to i was about to say like is it sexual does it does probably it, yeah for, for like a while though it's like it's like a it's like the biggest coupon book ever i don't really know what it is. do you feel like it brought y'all closer oh 100 percent. i literally wrote that like day three, I was trying to like journal and I mm-hmm. like wrote, like, I don't know what this is doing for my career, but it is helping my marriage. Like we, we were just like in the fucking trenches and like, there was a, we had a big turning point cause he was feeling really stressed out and a little useless and a little like he didn't know what he was doing there because I think we also kind of thought a few more people would have partners or friends or family. And a couple of people had people visit and, you know, Mike Kaplan, his girlfriend was there the whole time. So there were a few people that had people there, but I think he thought there would be a few more. And so he just kind of felt out of place. And he, um, the reason he was there the whole time is because of the writer's strike. So his job, he's a carpenter. Um, and so he wasn't working anyway. So he, but he just, he likes tasks. He likes achieving things. He likes getting things done. So I think he was feeling really loose, really useless and really lost. And there was a day where we were talking about the show and he actually, he has a degree in theater. We both went to school for theater. And we were talking about the show. And I said, our show? Like, I was like, well, our show is this instead of my show. And he, we had been, like, having a couple beers. But he got really, like, emotional and was like, thank you. Because I do feel like I'm trying to help. And, like, I don't want to take ownership of something. But I am 
I do want to be a part of it. And it like means a lot to me that you think I'm a part of it. And I was like, at this point, I literally would not be doing this without you because you're bringing in half the audience and you are emotionally keeping me alive. So it is our show. And I think that changed a lot for him because then we were out with people and he felt comfortable saying our show and, and you know, Aww. and people would, you know, ask more about it. And he was like, well, I'm not performing. I mean, she does it. It's her show, but it's our, you know, like he wasn't like taking, you know, credit or anything, but I think it gave him some ownership and some like someplace to stand, you know, like he was like, yeah. I feel like I can, and he's not a comic and he would never, he doesn't ever like give me like tags. He's not like, here's some bits, you know, but he, he's good at interpreting what the audience is feeling and like telling me how I'm feeling and being like, no, you were really, you know, confident today. Or like, you know, Hey, how are you feeling that, you know, whatever. So I do think it definitely, it definitely brought us closer together, but it was also a weird time. Cause we were like in a dorm and like, and there were, you know, we had a double bed. It wasn't like a teeny tiny twin bed, but it was not comfortable mm -hmm. and we were exhausted. And it was like probably the least sexy time of our entire lives. Like we were just like exhausted and had blisters and we're eating meat all day. And it was just like, I don't even want to touch you. I am thankful that you're here. I've never uh -huh. loved you more. Get away from me. Like <laughs> I remember being shocked that we had sex. Somehow we managed to have sex a few times. And I remember being like in the act of being like, wow, okay, good for us. Like I really, I really was expecting us to like not have sex at all. Cause same, you're just like, you're, you're just around them 24 seven. There's just, you're so many heightened emotions, so many highs and lows. Like you're on the roller coaster, you're on the roller coaster together, but sometimes on different peaks and valleys, like it really it's it's so much um it's so crazy i still can't believe um that you know that we both did it like with our husbands um and still so grateful to have done it that way too uh i know this is kind of a shift but i know part of your your show is about wanting to have kids whether or not and we've also discussed that too and i wanted to see like where you were at if you were comfortable talking about that yeah yeah we it's such a funny journey because the the show is true but it is heightened like the show is in the show i say things like danny is baby crazy and that i i'm really not sure or i don't think i want kids and that's just a heightened version of of what it is he has the real truth is he's always been pro and i go back and forth that's like the reality is that mm -hmm. he's always been like but like we had a couple conversations now like two years ago which i was actually thinking like yesterday how much time has passed on this baby thinking journey that it mm -hmm. has already been two years since we got married because like we had talked about it a lot before we got married and then we got married and it felt like danny wasn't bringing it up that much and i kind of confronted him about it and was like hey do you not want to do that anymore like you haven't really mentioned it and you used to kind of always be like oh you know if we had a kid we would take them here or you know whatever and he was like, no, it's just that it's clear to me that you're not like a thousand percent. And it, it's also like, it was when like Roe v. Wade was, you know, mm. being repeal all this stuff. And he had finally just kind of realized, and I think also since we've gotten together and especially in the past couple of years, my close friends have become his close friends. Like, and he'll talk to my girlfriends and they'll they're more honest with him and about their lives and stuff. They're not no longer just like tangential friends. And so mm -hmm. I think he, 
he started to realize how hard it is to have a kid, how much trauma is involved. And like, I, the, the night that Roe v. Wade got overturned, I was in a terrible mood. And then I had to go to a show and I knew that the lineup was all like 25 year old straight dudes. And I was yeah. like, this is like the last place I want to be tonight. And he, he like, like a lot of other men, you know, I was so upset. And I think he was like, well, we live in New York and it's okay. And I'm like, but it's not okay and nothing's okay. And I was like, if I got pregnant, we can't go to Pennsylvania the whole time. Like where our families, like, I was like, I don't know what they're going to do there. Like, you know, and I'm just like losing my mind. And so, you know, on our honeymoon, we are talking about it and he's like, this is just entirely your decision now. Like whatever you want to do is what I want to do. I can't influence you anyway. You know how I feel, but I also think it's your call. And so like that has, uh, has definitely put, you know, I don't feel like it's put the responsibility on me, but we we were talking about Edinburgh. And when I decided I wanted to do Edinburgh which last January, I was like, I wanna, I've wanted to do this for a few years and we won't be able to do this if I have a kid. Like it just mm -hmm. won't be possible um, to figure out. And so I wanted to do this. I wanted to cross this hurdle and have this done before I really gave it more thought and i honestly i don't know we're we're still leaning yes but time keeps passing and my uterus keeps getting older so it's like i don't i don't know it's it i i constantly struggle with the fact that like we started dating when i was almost 30 and i started comedy at 30 and i feel like i'm trying to live my 20s in my 30s and it's uh it's difficult because time is real and I am in my late thirties. And so I need to, to make this decision and, and maybe I already have, maybe I'm already not going to be mm -hmm. able to have a kid too. That's the other like spicy meatball in the situation of like, maybe this decision's already been made for you and you don't even know it yet. And obviously there's like other ways to have a kid, but, uh, I don't know. I, I think we're, we're still leaning towards it, but there's no, there's no plan in place. We need to have a lot of big conversations and, and this for the past like four months, the writer strike has meant that he's not working at all and I'm not working my side job. So we've had like not nearly enough income either. So mm -hmm. it's been like, doesn't feel like a good time to make a life change or a big life decision. And I know people always say like you, there's never a good time when you're talking about kids, but I don't know. It's, and and of course I'm a millennial. So I'm like, should I contribute another warm body to the planet? You know, like, but I, I think that we're still leading towards it because of like one specific conversation. I was talking to my cousin who is in her forties and has two kids and got married when she was like 23 and had her first kid when she was 25. And we were talking and we're talking about something unrelated to kids, but she was like, she's like, yeah, but you guys aren't going to have kids. So you'll be able to do this. Like she had assumed that based mm. on the fact that we just hadn't yet. And it, it like bothered me in a way that I'm still thinking about it. And it's been like a month. And I'm mm. like, why does she think that? Why has that been decided? Has that been decided? Are we the couple without kids? And I, I think I've always pictured us having one, but it's, it's really just time. It's really just the fact that like, I would like a couple more years, but that's not, you know, the more time we wait, the less likely it's possible to do it in a healthy, safe way. That's not a thousand million dollars. So I don't know today. I don't know, but 
we'll see. It's not, it's certainly not off the table. And it's such a weird thing in comedy. I'm sure you've experienced this too, with so many comedians that are so anti-kids that you're like, okay, am I weird? And like, my whole complaint always is like, uh, you can know a male comic for like five years and not know they have a kid. Like if you don't know them well, <laughs> you cannot know they have a kid for years. Mm -hmm. But mom comics, you know it right away. Obviously, if they get pregnant and then after that, it's like that consumes their whole life. And I, mm -hmm. again, as we've said, have a very supportive partner, but reality sets in and he has to go to the job where he gets paid well and gets health care. Do I have to go to the bar show? Like that's, you know, that's what it breaks down to. So I think it's just a lot of stuff that like, just, we just have to face reality on a couple things and figure out priorities in that way. And, and I have to carve out the way I can still do shows and still be creative if that's, if that's what we do. So that's not really an answer. It's a long winded. <laughs> no, that's an answer. I think for me, I think a really big thing that's happening right now for women is how much more selfish and honest we're being, you know, I think motherhood for a long time was really like depicted as this, you know, amazing experience. And this is when you like fully evolve as a human and like what it can bring to your life and all this like enrichment. But our generation, like millennials are, you know, we were taught kind of like, we were kind of taught career first, like do what you love and you're like never working. So a lot of us have like fallen into something that we do love, but we also understand the real, the real change. Like we're not lying to ourselves about the trauma of being pregnant, the trauma of giving birth, the trauma of having a fucking one-year-old and not sleeping um, and how it never ends. It just evolves every year. Um, I remember me and Aaron talked about it pretty young in our relationship. And I was, when we met, I was a live in nanny at that point. So I was like, oh, dude, wow. everything fucking changes, like everything. And the, you know, couple that I was um, nannying for, and I nannied for them for majority of my um, life in New York, like they, she is an actress and because she was successful, she could, you know, they could afford, and he had, you know, the dad had a very stable job. They could afford a live-in nanny when she had to go to, a, like, Atlanta for three months. Like, I just went with them. Like, wow. and if you want to be a creative, that's a really big part of having to, one, just kind of, I think, first admit, like, you need so much help and how much help that costs. Like, yeah. how much in New York City that costs to have help. Like, I've already told... We are, yes, though I go back and forth um, to this day. I'm still like, you know, if it didn't happen, there's pros to it not happening. Yeah. And yeah. I, I've already told him like at the bare minimum, I need to know I have at least 10 hours a week with like a babysitter, just 10 hours, yeah. five hours, Tuesday, Thursday, that I can walk away and not lose my goddamn mind. And I think for a long time, he will not that he didn't understand it, because I think, again, like Danny, I think they understand it so much that if you want a child and a career, you will have it because Danny will understand what you need. And he really, really wants that kid, too. And I think that's the big difference is like when the dad really wants the kid, yeah. it's a whole game changer of the responsibilities being shifted and being more equal or not even equal that they are doing more than you. And that's huge too. And 
when I freak out, when I start going leaning towards no is when I am around people with kids and I don't like the dynamic between the mom and dad. And I love those people, but I don't like the dynamic. And I like, I will freak out and I'll be like, Aaron, what if you just turn into that? And he was like, when have I ever showed that that is what I would turn into? Like when, like, I know what you need, but I have these like insecurities that I start projecting on him of like, I can't become this person that this like baby is just attached to my tit 24 seven because you don't want to do anything. And like, again, that's not what Danny would do. That's not what Aaron would do, but we see it so often that it's hard not to acknowledge because what if that did happen? You know? Yeah. Though yeah. it's not going yeah. to. It's scary. Cause you just don't, I mean, I know every part of my brain knows that it won't, but you mm-hmm. don't actually, you haven't experienced it. So you're like, what, could happen and it's it's just like you can't go back so if you say idealistically okay i'm gonna we're gonna have the daycare every afternoon even for three hours and we're gonna do this and i'm gonna make sure you have two nights a week that you can go to shows and we're you know whatever you put in place life still exists there still could be something that happens that oh well danny lost his overtime so we can't afford the babysitter Mm -hmm. whatever it is like life happens so i think it's just like being afraid of what those possibilities are but you also like living in fear is not super productive and like Mm -hmm. he i think it's really helped his best friend has a two-year-old and i think it's really helped his reality set in like he Mm -hmm. still really wants a kid but now he has conversations all the time of like oh well he didn't sleep so now i'm up or you know he got sick so now i can't go to the thing you know like he's Mm -hmm. seeing it's been helpful for me to have him see that because I have friends with kids and I have family with kids and I know what that means. Like, I don't obviously know firsthand, but I felt like I had a better understanding of how much it was going to affect us. Mm -hmm. But for him, it's good for him to be like, Oh, you know, my friend gets to go out once a month because of this kid. So I'm going to make sure that he has a good time or I'm going to go over there and hang out. And like, he went over there a couple nights ago and he sent me a picture of him like reading their son a bedtime story. Yeah. Like he just, he loves little kids so much. Like he's at the point now where if we see like a really cute toddler, he'll get like a tear in his eye. Like he's Aww. like, he is. And I feel like a monster. Cause I'm like, I'm sorry that I haven't like well, given you a kid yet. That's a big part of it too. I remember I have not cried in therapy a lot, but I think this was like 2016 when shit was like hitting the fan and uh Aaron was definitely yes on kids and I was way more no and I remember just crying in therapy being like I don't want to deprive him of being a father because he'll be such a good father but I don't know if that's what I want like it's making me tear up now and that's such a big guilt to it like there's just I think if you're gonna be a mom like you the general you you just have to understand you're gonna start feeling guilty like 24 7 and then that's like having to learn how to deal with that because you still have to be selfish and be like um, the mom that I nannied for, who um, is an actress, I remember she gave me really good advice of like, she was like, no matter what, like, she's like, you are you first, like, you're not mom first, you are, you are Emily, and then Emily yeah. is a comedian, and you know, married to Danny and has children, like, it, it goes down. Um, and she was like, I learned that from my mom, you know, and she's, they're also French. And I feel like it's a very French way to be like, uh, and I, I really respected that type of like upbringing that I saw for their children. Yeah. Cause they had, um, I don't want to give up. I'm not giving her name. So it's fine. They had two boys. And I just remember being like, you don't understand how feminist this is that you 
and your dad and your like younger brother just totally get that you know mom's career is so important and that she goes away for months like and she'll she'll work it into her contracts like she i'm giving up so much away she had said no to a very major major thing that her agent was like pissed off about i was like how could you say no because they were like we can't guarantee that you'll see your kids like you know every certain time she was like no i need to know that i can go home like every 10 days to see them so she said no and then like a month later they were like okay we'll make it work but like there you go yeah like just power yeah and just being able to say no and to be selfish and like to know when one goes over the other you know and yeah i think that's oh sorry no 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 I think that's part of it too, for me, like I, like a year ago, we had like a night out where I had like two drinks and then I was like too honest, you know, and you're like (laughs) talking about things. And I was like, my biggest fear is I haven't had enough success in comedy that when I go away for three months, four months, whatever, like when I'm like nine months pregnant to the baby's three months old, whatever that time frame is of me stepping back, that no one will miss me that no one will be like, where's Emily? We haven't seen Emily in a while. Mm -hmm. And that will make it easier for me to not go to things. Like if Mm -hmm. nobody's clamoring for, to get me on the show, am I going to fight to get on the show when my kid is three months old? Like, I don't know if, if that, if I will. And, and I got really like depressed and dark about it. And I was like, I don't, you know, I don't think the world needs my comedy. Like, am I really that talented that i'm gonna like fuck up our family to do these shows and danny was like okay you gotta take it back a thousand percent like this is a cuckoo conversation you know like he was very reassuring it was like i think yes and i think we'll figure it out but like these are the thoughts i have where it's just like because i think the reason i keep using the word selfish i don't really think it's selfish but i worry that if we had a kid and if all the, the plans to continue to be creative and to continue to do comedy fell apart, or if something, if the kid needed something or God forbid had a disability or had a health issue that needed more attention, I would do whatever the kid needed a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But that just means that I would be giving up more. And I know that about myself. So it's like, are you ready to potentially lose your personal time and your creative mm-hmm. time to this other person because that could be what happens mm-hmm. like hopefully it's not but it very well could be and i think that's what i've been wrestling with is just to like set this in motion means that we don't know what's going to happen but it's also like 10 years ago i never would have thought i would want a kid and but also 10 years ago i didn't know i was going to be doing comedy and not painting anymore and not you know like so Mm -hmm. who knows what I'm supposed to be doing yeah I mean again we're so similar like I love plans I love plan a plan b plan c I love having some sense of control um and then when you do have a child there's just no control anymore there's just there's no way and in a way that for me at least that knowing that I cannot control it, like there's no feasible way to actually have any control relaxes me a little bit. Like I have OCD and I like, we've had a few friends and family have like really rough pregnancies um, and really grapple with that. And I was telling Aaron, like I overthink everything, like everything because of my OCD, but that is one of those moments where it's like, but there's nothing I can do. Like there's literally nothing that I can do to make this easier or harder. Um, Yeah. 
or harder. Yeah. And so it, in a way, once you're able to like, let go of that, you're like, okay, I can breathe a little bit, but everything you're saying is just so real and so fair. And like, that's okay. Like that is just where you should be right now. And that's okay. Whatever happens, if it's a yes or a no. And one, I, something that I do, and I think when you're like, will anyone miss me? That's, that's us being like, do I fit in? You absolutely are a part of this no matter what. But something that's also helped me a lot is I will just straight up anyone I know is pregnant, had kids, had kids by accident, had kids on purpose and are still in comedy. I'm like, tell me everything. Tell me fucking everything. And I will say almost every single one of them has been like, it's okay. It's great. You'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. Like one, one person she was on the podcast. She was like, yeah, we're taking our eight month old to Italy in the next couple months. Like you just do, you are still you, you just have a baby on your hip now. Like you are still that person. Um, Casey Balsham is a really great person to talk to. She was on. We literally just had her on our podcast. It's coming out like next week. We just talked to her. I, she made me feel so much better. Like I loved talking to her so much, um, about it. And yeah, I don't know. I think where you are is great. And you and Daniel will figure out what's best for you. And Danny's got your back no matter what. Yeah. And it's like, a, it's like thinking about, cause sometimes I'm like, well, if you have kids, you have to turn into like this suburban person that you don't like. And it's mm-hmm. like, you weren't like those people before they had kids. Why would you be like the way they have? Why would you parent the way they parent? Like mm-hmm. you've already been the person who's been to 30 countries and like goes camping and goes hiking and goes on vacations and does comedy and lives in New York city. And all of those things are things that your quote unquote normal family and friends think are nuts already. Like mm-hmm. they already are like, you live in New York, you live in an apartment, you don't have a basement, you don't have a yard, you know, like mm-hmm. just stuff that I thought was normal for 15 years. So yes, we might be the parents that they're like, you're taking your kid to Italy. And it's like, yeah, we yeah. are. Cause we want to go to Italy and we have a kid. So the kids go to Italy. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really good point too. Like city kids are already different city parents are already different and like your normal is going to be like whatever you want it to be if that's what you want you know yeah yeah so who knows maybe i will listen to this podcast in a year and be like that <laughs> stupid bitch like she didn't know what she was talking about who i mean knows? we don't we don't but that's the best part of it is like we don't know and it could go yeah. either way i as an overthinker i'm i my therapist calls me a worst case scenario person like I, which makes me a really good producer because it's like, well, what are what's everything that can go wrong? Um, but it's really bad in real life when Aaron's like, please, I just none of these problems have happened yet. Like, please stop. This um, is not real. This yeah, is stop not real. Doomsday prepping. And my therapist, uh, I was talking to her about it, and she was like, yeah, but like, she's like, when you're, it was like two things. She was like, when you're starting to feel that way, one, start thinking like, what's the worst that could happen? And it's really not even that bad. And two what if it just works out? She was like, Natalie, most things just yes. work out. My therapist says that to me all the time. She's like, but what if everything's fine? And yeah. I'm like, what, if, what if it's not? Yeah. No, I, I would die if like we actually even had like the same therapist and everything. Um, <laughs> but it is so much to grapple with, but it, that it, the moments of clarity come for me at least when I'm like, what if it just works out? What if yeah. it's fine? What if you get everything you wanted? What if it's fine? What if what if everybody's happy and healthy and there's just more of you now? That, yeah. that could be the story. Who knows? 
Thank you guys so much for listening. Remember to rate, like, subscribe, review Awkward Sex in the City, share with your friends, give me some feedback. Let's let's get into it. Unless it's like a one star, just give me five stars because I love constant validation that you love me. Um, remember, we'll be in October 6th, we'll be in Seattle, and the 21st, no, and the 20th and the 21st, we'll be in LA. And we can go listen to Emily's podcast, Alone at Lunch, uh, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, and go see her in New York City if you can. And I will. We'll see y'all very soon.